Um, good morning, I'm Mike Lacoste, a member of the Missions Committee, um, and it's uh, time to go back to Guatemala. So uh, I'd ask the people that we've asked to come up on stage here with me today uh, just to answer a, a few questions and set some hooks for some people to, to sign up. So uh, April, Phil, Allison, if you didn't mind joining me. Um, 2020 uh, marks 20 years of impact. Um, marks 20 years of uh, ministry for Impact Ministries in Guatemala. Um, we've been involved as a church since 2010, so this is our 10th year. Um, we're also this is the sixth group that'll be going down. This is the sixth group that'll be going down to um, Guatemala. And um, so, yeah, so over the, so we've, looking back on the pictures, we've had 43 different people from the congregation here go down at uh, different points. Um, we've had uh, families, grandparents, grandkids, with their grandkids, uh, youth groups. So it's been every sort of variation of family groups that have gone down. So don't think uh, just because you're at a certain age, you're, too old to go down, or I think you have to be, you can be too young, you have to be 15 to go, but uh, so yeah, it, uh, it's for everybody, and there's something to do. We've watched the ministry grow from oh, from actually just being schools and, and teaching to orphanage, and now they've opened up an orphanage, they've got um, agriculture, they supply food to the communities, um, so it's just been a, a huge growth over the 10 years that we've even been there, so. So we've prepared, um, do we have a mic? We've prepared three questions for people up here. Um, Allison, April, and Phil, they've all been on one trip down to Guatemala. So we've got, uh, I'm, I'm not a mean teacher, so I've, I've given them the questions beforehand. So <laughs> it's, an, it's kind of an open book test. So, um, so I'll let you, let you start, Allison. Um, I guess we'll start out, uh, share with one highlight from your, from your trip. Sure. You have to get permission from Larry to carry on because we've only got. <laughs> um, no, it's really hard to pick a highlight, honestly. Um, and I know Bay went along on the trip to my daughter and she said her highlight was meeting her sponsor child. So I thought I'd share that too. It's just, she said that was just fantastic to see this little girl that she had sponsored. Um, I think. One of my highlights was praying for children when we were in the school with children, and I, I shared this with the church family before, and some of you may remember, but it was we were praying for children, and we were all bowing. It brings tears every time I think of it, but it just felt like, like angels' wings, just flapping over top of us, like, and it just felt like angels, we were in the presence of angels when we were children. My favorite part is probably visiting the sponsored families as well, the children spending time actually going into their homes, um, spending time talking with them. We have an interpreter with us the entire time, so that was helpful, and just to get to know uh, them. Um, I Also, I just like being part of the culture more, so the evening that we got to go to one of the, I don't know if he's a board member, elder of the church, into their home, they show us um, how to make some traditional dishes, and then we sit down with them at their table, and um, just, yeah, share that time with them, pray with them at the end. Those are my highlights. Good morning. These questions are out of order. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had a few plans. But uh, my, my highlight, I think, actually, uh, 
it happened, I believe it was on the last day we were in Antigua, we, we went to sing in, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I don't know what it's a called. A cloister convent. Yes. A cloister convent, yeah. whatever. But it was a, it had perfect acoustics in there and we were all singing and uh, it really impacted me a lot because um, a woman came down the stairs and joined us as we were singing and uh, she was suffering from an illness. I don't want to embellish on that too much, but uh, she didn't say anything. She just sat there and, and listened to us sing all of our songs. We were there for, had to be half an hour at least. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, she left and carried on her way. But, uh, and we, we, and Mike actually chased her down. And that was probably the biggest highlight of my, my entire trip because we took the opportunity to pray with her. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, yeah, Mike went up a couple notches in my book. Down <laughs> no, it just it, it caught me off guard. It caught me off guard, and uh, that was probably one of the most impactful experiences of my entire trip. Is just taking that opportunity for something that was suffering. Uh, we don't know if she was a believer. We don't know if uh, you know what brought her to that place at that time. But we took that opportunity, and that was probably the biggest highlight of my entire trip. You can keep it. Oh. Okay, um, so the next question, um, <clears throat> um, what did you experience that was unexpected? Mine was, again, more, my wife says, I, I don't know if I'm emotional or not, but that, mine was more of an emotional experience. It was uh, being humbled. I was, I was very, very humbled by the experience, like the total experience of the, our journey, and it was... Uh, the passion that the children have for Christ, and uh, I just felt like, at that time, I felt like I was a speck, and I was just so humbled by the passion and how they glorified God the entire time we were there. I just felt like I couldn't do enough, and that's, yeah. Um, I think I, I went thinking that we were going to be more of a help and we were going to be <laughs> helping them. But I think God met us there and yeah, it's emotional. <laughs> yeah. It's life changing. Yeah. So me and my husband, we cried. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So, yeah. God met us there and um, yeah, it's pretty impactful for my faith and just giving it back. Into the word more, pray more. I I would say the same thing, you guys. But the fact that we were one humbled because we went there, and there were people there that had so little, and were so happy with that, and were so willing to share it so openly with us. So and so I I was humbled that way, and I think too the fact that you know you think you're going to be there, and you know you've got something to share, and when we went over there, it was like wow, we were just converted the whole time, and. And they kind of turned it on us and said, you know, your country needs to be looking at what you guys are doing with Christianity and what's happening there and you know, your, your faith. And I was like, oh, right. You know, and it was very good. Okay, now for the hook. <laughs> um, how would you encourage someone to uh, who was considering going on this trip? Well, I had three answers for this one, actually. Of course. Um, first of all, we totally disconnected. 
all of the above. <laughs> we totally disconnected from the internet and from our phones and everything, and it was just so free. You go down there and you just leave everything behind. And you're not connected anymore, you're totally immersed in what you're doing. And I think that's, and, and you get to connect with God and, and with others that you're with. Um, so I think that that's really something to experience. Um, secondly, the camaraderie that we shared as a group, we really grew. And one of the things I remember is being stuck in a hot, hot, hot vehicle with instruction, right? Hill. The good old Phil pulls through and buys us all ice cream because there were vendors going all up and down the hill. <laughs> but it was we just had so much fun together. And um, and Les and Rita are such gracious folks. They just make you feel so comfortable and they are so knowledgeable and they are so loved by the people there. And so you feel that love from the people. So I it, it is just a beautiful experience. I think everybody should go to La Mola at this point. <laughs> because it's a very um, easy introduction into the Take an emissions trip. Um, they're very comfortable. You feel safe. Um, they have beautiful um, accommodations mm -hmm. for us. You can have your regular plug-in. There's nothing where you take adapters. Like it's just easy. The food is amazing. You think that you know, well, I you have sensitivities or whatever. They just meet everything, and the food is delicious. And um, yeah, you get a little bit of everything, like from like hospital to yeah the school, to a work project, to um, going to one of their prayer meetings, to going yeah. to church with them, to, yeah, it's just, there's so much you get to experience. Oh, and I, I thought of one more highlight <laughs> that was kind of funny. We were going up a mountain, I think it was maybe the only second time that a, a group had gone up there to do kind of like a um, PBS or something with them. Yeah. And so we're going up a mountain in this truck. We all piled into the back of the truck and just hanged on. And he could barely get us up the mountain. I think Dave like, jumped out and maybe Phil as well yeah. and, and pushed the truck up. <laughs> like, we just have so many stories and start thinking about it. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. If you come, I will buy you an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> looking for something, uh, I just highly recommend it. It, uh, it opened my eyes and uh, just refreshed my spirit. I, I don't know how to explain that. I just, uh, yeah, it took me down and it built me back up in the same sense. So at the end of that journey, I was just, I was overflowing. And coming back here, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to everyone about it and I wanted to share my story. But you have to be careful because you're just, you know, you're on such a high you don't want to overpower, overpower. But yes, you, it'll take you, it'll it'll take you down and it'll build a great path. So that's what I I just think that uh, everyone should experience. Thanks. Um, so if that's what your appetite at all, we're not looking for you for a check or anything today or anything. We're just there's an information meeting about. Um, about Guatemala 2020 in the fireside room after service here. So um, say we'll meet, at, I'm not sure how long service will go, but 12.15-ish in the fireside room. And uh, yeah, hope to see everybody there. And if, if we run out of room in the fireside, we can go to the gym. So <laughs> so that's, uh, thank you. Team. Well, here we go again, eh? Transition. <laughs> Seems to come up a lot. Uh, probably safe to say transition is a way of life. Even looking at some of those pictures, right? 
Mike, you've transitioned a little bit since that 2010 picture. <laughs> a few other people have transitioned a little bit since in those. But, you know, that, that is, transition is part of life. How are we going to handle the next transition? Are we going to be going in circles, or are we going to be moving forward? And so, looking at, okay, what does my sort of last hurrah here at Estevan Elijah Trish look like over the next couple months, and kind of where do I go, where, where do we land, because I want to kind of set you on a bit of a trajectory. Now, how, how can we move forward as opposed to just go in circles? How should, should we live? What kind of people ought we to be? Well, as you can tell by the bulletin, I've landed in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. We're not going to cover the whole book of Revelation. We're going to cover the first three chapters of the book of Revelation for a couple of reasons. Number one is the song we just sang. Chapter one of the book of Revelation is, is revealing who Jesus is. It's talking about the greatness and the magnitude and the glory and the, the grandeur of, of this person we worship whose name means everything to us, not just, not just on Sundays, not just when we sing a song. At the mention of your name. You know, and that works positively and negatively when someone takes the Lord's name in vain, right? That, right, that grabs you. Why does that, why should it grab us, right? So, this, this idea in Revelation chapter 1 just kind of paints this indescribable picture of Jesus. And then it's a story, or letters to seven churches. And I'd like to think that uh, in these letters to the seven churches, there's encouragement, there's exhortation, there's challenge, there's rebuke. All scripture is profitable for correction, for instruction that the men and women of God may be perfectly equipped in righteousness. So I, th I think hopefully we'll find some lessons here for us in the letters to the seven churches. And if you work out the timeline, Revelation chapter 1 and then seven letters to seven churches takes us to the middle of March. And so it just kind of fit, kind of fit the timeline. But Revelation is a tough book. There's images, there's symbols, it's enigmatic, it's esoteric, it's confusing, there's overlap, there's, there's same things are referred to in different ways, and it's, it's a very confusing book, and interpretations are notoriously diverse. I don't have to tell you that. It's interesting that the fathers of the Reformation, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Ulrich Zwingli, the three big dogs of the Reformation 500 years ago, all three of them avoided the book of Revelation. John Calvin did a commentary on every book of the Bible except the book of Revelation. Martin Luther just kind of left it alone. He didn't think it exalted Jesus enough. And Ulrich Zwingli, he just kind of followed the same path as, as the other three fathers of the Reformation. They just totally avoided it. Referred to it as little as possible. And there is this sort of otherworldly element to, to the book of Revelation. It takes us into a whole different, not just a whole different genre, it takes us into a whole different world. It's very otherworldly. And it's just as tough a book today, I think, as it was for Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. 
maybe we've got a little better resources to understand the background and through history and, and language and archaeology and understanding other cultures, we have a little better understanding of some of this symbolism and some of the imagery. But it's still a tough book today because in our secular society, there's really only two things, good and evil. When it comes to good and evil in our society today, there seems to be only one storyline. The hero finds strength within themselves to defeat the enemy. If you look at the Avengers, and whether it's Marvel comics or DC comics, all the superheroes, all the heroes find their own strength and they defeat the enemy. The resources are all within themselves, and they are able to save the world. But in the franchises that are out there, there is, there is another storyline. There is another storyline. Anybody not know what my grandson Bennett is dressed as? Does anybody not know what he is? Last March when we were at, uh, last March when we were at Disney World, they went to the Star Wars park. And so he took his Jedi training. Bennett calls it, I love it, he calls it a lightsaber. It's not a lightsaber. It's a lightsaber. And so he took his Jedi training. And I remembered a year ago reading something about how Star Wars is one of the only blockbuster movie franchises that takes the unknown invisible world seriously. Think about it. Whether it's the Avengers, Marvel, DC, any of the superhero sort of stories, Star Wars at least takes the idea that there is another force at work in the world besides the human force, right? It takes the unknown, the invisible world seriously. There is a third party at work. Now me, I'm more of a Star Trek guy. I've never been a Star Wars guy. I'm more of a Star Trek guy. But even in Star Trek, salvation is found in human ingenuity and resourcefulness. If we just have enough tech, we can solve it. But Star Wars is different. One writer put it this way, and he's writing in 2013, so you'll, you'll see why I, I, I use the date here. One writer put it this way, looking at the book of Revelation and Star Wars. He says, in some way, emphasis some ways, I'm not saying there's super parallels, but in some ways, the book of Revelation reads like the Star Wars trilogy. Okay, this was 2013. He didn't know there was three more coming. The beast, or the anti-force emperor Palpatine, rules from his imperial capital. The Death Star Babylon, imposing loyalty through the false prophet Lord Darth Vader. And the priestly Sith Lords. True believers, the members of the Rebel Alliance, resist the Empire, aided by John and his Jedi band of prophets. And when we enter into Revelation, there has been a disturbance in the Force. Rome has no benevolent purpose. Rome is not a servant of God. It is a purely evil entity. Now, I'm not saying it's equal, but I am saying there are some parallels. And it's interesting, in our secular society, which refuses and prefers to admit that there is no other 
no other world at work, no other person at work does not acknowledge another reality. At least Star Wars acknowledges a force. Yes, it's ethereal. Yes, it's not personal. But at least it acknowledges that there is another third party at work in play. Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, if you're working out of the Bibles in your pews, page 1137. And so I'm reading from the Pew Bible, although you know I like to mark it up, so I do my own printout and don't want to wreck the church Bible. Revelation chapter 1. That song we sang before the sermon is so important in, in terms of the perspective as, as, as we come to Revelation chapter 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. See, what would happen, John would send the letter, and someone in the congregation, someone in the house church, would read the letter. So there, there's a, an individual in the house church meeting that, it, that is blessed for reading the words that are sent to the seven churches. Blessed is, and, but it also applies to us just for reading, right? But there's, you need to have that picture of the original setting. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne which is a reference. There's numerous ways the Holy Spirit is referred to. The seven spirits refer to the Holy Spirit who is part of the seven churches. So the seven spirits refers to the Holy Spirit. From the one who was, who is, and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patience that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos is a little, you'll get this, the little volcanic island. You've seen a lot about volcanic islands, whether it's New Zealand or whether it's the Philippines, right? Little volcanic island in the Aegean Sea. If you've seen the images from those, you can, you can picture sort of John's 
the volcano didn't erupt yet, but that's that kind of setting. It was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he's, he's exiled because of his, his uh, commitment to Jesus. He, he's sent to this desolate island, volcanic island. Verse 10, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice. Think about that for a minute. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And here's where the song that we just sang kind of kicks in. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, both what is now and what will take place. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars of the angels of the seven churches. Allison, what you said about angels? Not far off. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We could go through the list of names that are given here that are used to refer to God or to refer to Jesus. And sometimes the names that are referred to God are also referred to Jesus, who was, who is, who is to come. Here it refers to God. Later on, it refers to Jesus. And so you've got this whole interplay between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as they are at work together. You've got the names of Jesus, the Almighty, the First and Last, the Alpha and Omega. He doesn't, he doesn't even say, repeat Alpha and Omega. He uses a whole different set of words. One, Alpha and Omega, the beginning letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And then later on, he says First and Last. Two different ways. Of, why didn't you just say the same thing? Well, it just kind of just keeps flowing and just kind of the, the description and, and the description of Jesus in verses uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16, it, it's almost like it's trying to describe the indescribable. Some of that is familiar stuff. Some of it isn't. The idea of the voice. I went back and I read the stories in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 6 about the voice of God on Mount Sinai and, and uh, the thunder and the, and the, the rumbling, rushing waters and the pounding uh, sound that came from the voice of God and, and the fear that it struck in the people. The, the idea of his face shone like the sun shining in all of his brilliance. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Moses 
and Elijah come to meet Jesus as he's up there with Peter, James, and John. And, and, and the brilliance, the brightness, the magnificence of Jesus on that mountain. And it's just, it, it's, John is trying to describe what is indescribable. It's almost like he's lost for words. It's so overwhelming. But what we know is that Jesus is the one who is coming. Numerous times in chapter 1, who is to come? The time is near. Who is to come? What will take place, right? There's Christian Missionary Alliance affirms two things about the return of Jesus. Number one is that he is going to return. Number two is that it's soon, that it's imminent, that it's any time. Now, there's all kinds of other variations and all kinds of other views as to what that might be. And within the Alliance churches, you are welcome to have those varying views. And there's no uh, preferences made, right? But Jesus is going to return, and it can happen at any time. And that has some implications for what kind of people we ought to be, and what kind of church we ought to be, and what kind of lives we, we need to live. But this whole talk about Revelation also takes me back to our vision statement. One of the things we were just finishing up when I got here was the vision statement. And I loved how you used the word reveal in your vision statement. To reveal and embrace God and His Son Jesus. To reveal and embrace God and His Son Jesus. Who is it we're revealing? Who is it we're embracing? Well, this is, this is who it is. And it's not an easy time. It's not an easy time for, for the church, it seems, at, at the end of the first. So this is about the end of the first century. There's some debate as to whether it was just after the time of Nero in the 60s and 70s, but some debate and some think towards the end and around 19. Uh, around the year 95, and some would project it later, but probably the end of the first century is the best date for when John was in exile on the island of Patmos. And it seems like, well, the reason he's in exile is kind of a state of the union as to what's happening with the churches in the empire. There's a lot of suffering and hardship and opposition and emperor worship. I mean, again, if you understand the Star Wars movies and the whole thing of emperors and imperialism and all that, I mean, we don't quite get that. I mean, yeah, sure, we have a monarchy, we have a queen, but it's, it's not, right? It's not that kind of leadership that comes from our monarchy. The empire ruled the day. The Roman emperor called the shots. And in varying degrees and in varying ways, the church was on the outs. Every city had, had some sort of recognition of the emperor. And we've talked before about it, how in the early church and in the early days, every, every civic duty, every civic action, everything agricultural, everything social was related to some worship of some deity. And ultimately in the city, it was the worship of the emperor. It comes down. Title of the book where I got that little Star Wars thing from, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. I mean, that kind of summarizes it. And that's the, the way they had to live, and that's the choices they had to make. But it, it's, it was challenging. 
Christians were challenged every day in many ways regarding their allegiance. Was it toward the emperor or was it to Jesus? And so, so the, the picture here behind this, it's like, it's like John is bringing something that's going to pull back the curtain. And who's, who's really in charge? Who's really in charge? Well, Jesus is in charge. God is in charge. There is another third party at work here. There, there's another worldview. And so John is in exile on the island of Patmos. And some of the churches have different degrees of suffering and hardship more than others. And we'll talk about that. And that's the challenge. Not to succumb, not to um, accommodate, not to compromise. Their faithfulness and their loyalty to Christ. Because the final word is not the empire. The final word is not the society in which they live. The final word is Jesus. And so John's in exile on this island of Patmos, and it doesn't seem like it was a hard exile. It's just like he's isolated. He's, he's um, sent off the mainland. It doesn't seem like it was a hard... There's no evidence of any kind of uh, camp of any kind on, on Patmos, but he just he was, off you go. The role of the Holy Spirit is really important here. And so verse 10, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. There's a big emphasis in these first three chapters on the role the Holy Spirit plays. And so I think for me that's one of the things I'd like to leave us with as, uh, as you transition to uh, Craig and Amy coming to Estevan is, is the importance of the role of the Spirit. Because the role of the Spirit is, is important in chapter 1. Every letter to the churches ends with he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every letter ends. He who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How do we listen? How, how do we listen to the Spirit? How do we know it's the Spirit? How do we listen in the Spirit? How do we listen with the Spirit? How do we listen to the Spirit? How do we listen for the Spirit? How do we listen by the Spirit? Graham was talking this morning in Sunday school class about checking into some Greek uh, grammar, and uh, <laughs> he shut it down. <laughs> Those five words all come from one little Greek word, N, two-letter word N, in with two by four. In the Spirit, with the Spirit, by the Spirit, for the Spirit, to the Spirit. It's... It, the Holy Spirit is the ways and means that God reveals himself. So, so you've got in, in chapter 1 is, is, is this picture of Jesus and what God is doing. And in that in, introduction, interestingly enough, in verse 4, John says to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to, to you from him who was, who is, and who is to come. That's God. And from the seven spirits, that's the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful, interesting, Father, Spirit, Son. I think that's interesting. We're so used to saying Father, Son, and Spirit. But the way John lays it out here, the Spirit is in the middle, in between, the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the ways and means God reveals Himself through Scripture, through prayer, through community, through experience. I more than anything want us to hear what the Spirit says 
to the church. Christian Missionary Alliance is a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered denomination. That's how we would describe ourselves. We have a holiness background. And over the history of the Christian Missionary Alliance, there is kind of this back and forth. We'll, we'll emphasize the Holy Spirit, then somebody will come along and say, well, we spent too much time talking about the Spirit. We need to get back to focusing on Jesus. And so we'll, we'll emphasize Jesus and being Christ-centered, and then after a while we'll come back, yeah, but we need the Spirit, because the Spirit is the ways and means that God empowers, and God reveals Himself, and God um, supports and sustains His ministry. So there's this back and forth. But it's not a case of either or. It's, it's a case of both. I love the phrase in John chapter 14 where Jesus says to the disciples when they say, please don't leave, he says, I have to leave. If I don't leave, I can't send another counselor. And the key word there is that it's another counselor just like me. As opposed to another word that would mean somebody different from me. Another counselor who is just like me. We come to God through Jesus. We come to Jesus by the Spirit. We come to God through Jesus. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. The Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, is the one who illuminates Jesus for us. We come to Jesus, or perhaps more properly, Jesus comes to us by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit emphasis is, is important to me here as we kind of move through this. And at the end of every letter, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not to you, but to the churches, right? There's that collective thing we've talked about. There's that group thing we've talked about. What is the Spirit saying to Estevan Alliance Church? Not to you at the Estevan Alliance Church. The other thing I notice about John in exile on the island of Patmos is that worship had nothing to do with location. Worship had nothing to do with... I don't know, I don't know what you think about these pictures of these volcanic islands in, um, down near New Zealand or in the Philippines, but they look pretty desolate and isolated. Worship has nothing to do with our situation. Trouble and hardship did not negate John's experience of the presence of God. Sometimes I think we're inclined to avoid church when life gets tough. You know, I, I, just don't, I just don't feel like going to church today. doesn't mean there isn't a time and a place. I'm not saying you have to be at church every Sunday. I'm just saying that idea that, well, you know, I just, I don't think I should go to church today. Just not feeling. Trouble and hardship did not negate John's experience of the presence and power of God. You know, this picture of Jesus in, in Revelation chapter 1, um, 
you know, no artist can do justice to it. There, there's, it's almost like words, words are not enough. It's trying to describe the indescribable. You know, rarely do I think we come into the presence of God with such an overwhelming portrait of our Savior. And, you know, there's a sense in which worship is really the backdrop to the book of Revelation. You know, you know, Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, those of you that have studied the book, it's about the worship of the elders and the living creatures around the throne. Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor and power and wisdom. It's, it's about worship. And it was about 25 years ago, I read an article by a um, professor from London Bible College in, in London, England. His name was Donald Guthrie. Uh, Donald Guthrie, back in the day, back in the 70s and 80s, Donald Guthrie was the guy who was the Bible College introduction to the New Testament guy. He had written a book called The Theology of the New Testament. It's about that thick. He had written a book called uh, Introduction to the New Testament. It's about that thick. Donald Guthrie was the guy. And um, about 25 years ago, I came across an article by Donald Guthrie about revelation and worship. And... Uh, he made a couple points in that article that have just stuck with me. Um, <laughs> verse 17 of Revelation chapter 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. As John turned to see the voice, and then he sees us and he tries to unpack it for us as best he can, what, what he saw, he says, I was overwhelmed. It seems like either our worship is either too familiar or too fearful, right? Uh, we're either so familiar, we just kind of blase about it and we just sing. And, and not that worship is all only singing, but coming into the presence of God, well, you know, it's just so familiar and casual and laid back. And, and then at the other flip side, it's, it's too fearful. Kevin had a great prayer before worship this morning when we were together in, this, in the staff room about just not overly formal, but still re respecting, right? Respecting who, who God is and, and what we're here for, to engage in it, to, to enjoy it, but not, not to get too, too formal. And John, I, I, he falls at his feet as though dead, but then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Guthrie, in this article that I read, and it's kind of stuck with me, he says three things, and I close with this. We must appreciate the greatness and uniqueness of Jesus. We must appreciate the greatness and uniqueness of Jesus. Look at verses 5 and 6. Go back to verses 5 and 6. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory forever. We must appreciate the greatness and the uniqueness of Jesus. Isn't it possible that all the debate and all the argument about Revelation, we spend more time talking about the stuff of Revelation than the person of Revelation? Isn't it possible we've got lost in the trees and forgot the one who made the forest? We must appreciate the greatness and the uniqueness of Jesus. 
Because with that worldview, that then puts everything in perspective. That puts everything in perspective. That puts their hardship in perspective. That puts the power of the empire, the emperor, uh, society, things that are going against them, things that are in opposition to them. That puts everything in perspective. Now, there's more to that, but we must appreciate the greatness and uniqueness of Jesus. It starts there. Secondly, Guthrie says, we must develop a humble attitude before him. He uses the word servants. He uses it in verse 1 twice to show his servants to his servant John. Verse 4, or sorry, verse 6, to serve his God and Father. We must develop a humble attitude before him. Worship is a way of living. Worship is more than music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a mindset. Worship is a frame of reference. Worship is a lens through which we see, analyze, interpret, and respond. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our whole bodies, all of us, not just on Sunday, not just when my lips are moving, not just when my vocal cords are working. The phrase that keeps coming back to me, looking ahead here, is that phrase in one of the songs, and I forget the title of the song, but it's that phrase that goes, change the atmosphere. The song is build your kingdom here. Change the atmosphere. Do we need a change of atmosphere? We're going to talk about the 60 years of the history of Estevan Alliance Church. There are some things worth repeating. There are some things not worth repeating. Continuity, continuity is good in some things. Does the atmosphere need to change? And then I was brought back to that verse from Hebrews chapter 10 that we talked about when we worked our way through Hebrews. Encourage one another daily, even more as you see what? The day approaching. If Jesus' return is near, if Jesus' return is soon, if Jesus' return is imminent, encourage one another, build up one another, support one another, help one another, comfort one another, challenge one another, exhort one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. We must develop a humble attitude before him. So Guthrie says we must approach the greatness and uniqueness of Jesus. Appreciate, sorry, we must appreciate the greatness and the uniqueness of Jesus. We must develop a humble attitude before him, the attitude of a servant. And this has been my takeaway for the past 25 years from, from Guthrie. We must seek to experience the tender touch of Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. Firmly. Correctively. How? How does Jesus put his right hand on us to lift us up? He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. 
I am the first and the last. I am the living. Ah, that, that, that's a new name in this whole litany of names in chapter 1. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. To appreciate the greatness and the uniqueness of Jesus, to develop a humble attitude towards him, And I pray that each of us can experience the tender touch. What's the psalm say? Though the Lord is high and lifted up, though the Lord is exalted and mighty, yet he has regard for those who are brought low. The thing about the book of Revelation is it tells us how things end, doesn't it? Well, let me tell you how ours is going to end. <laughs> We're going to end up in Laodicea, the seventh letter to the seventh church. There's going to be a knock on the door. Revelation 3.20. It's not the knock of introduction. Not the knock of introduction. It's the knock on the church door. Not a knock on the emperor's door. It's not a knock on the mayor's door. It's a knock on the church door. And it's not a knock of introduction. Because when you open the door, Jesus says, remember me?